The Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 32 Completion of two farmhouses, a lake, the, the beast with a bill, a boat. The trees that I had chosen for the construction of my farm embellishments were for the most part one foot in diameter in the trunk. They presented the form of a tolerably regular parallelogram with its longest side to the sea, the length 24 feet and the breadth 16. I cut little hollow places or mortises in the trunks at the distance of 10 feet, one above the other, to form two stories. The upper one I made a few inches shorter before than behind, that the roof might be in some degree shelving. I then inserted beams five inches in diameter, respectively, in the mortises, and thus formed the skeleton of my building. We next nailed some laths from tree to tree, at equal distances from each other, to form the roof, and placed on them, in mathematical order, a covering composed of pieces of the bark of trees, cut into the shape of towels, and in a sloping position, for the rain to run off in the wet season. As we had no great provision of iron nails, we used for the purpose the strong pointed thorn of the Achaicaea which we had discovered the day before. We cut down a quantity of them and laid them in the sun to dry. When they became as hard as iron and were of essential service to our undertaking, we found great difficulty in peeling off a sufficient quantity of bark from trees to cover our roof. I began with cutting the bark entirely round at distances of about two feet, all the length of the trunk. I next divided the intervals perpendicularly into two parts, which I separated from the tree by sliding a wedge under the corners to raise the bark by degrees. I next placed the pieces on the ground with stones laid on them to prevent their curving to dry in the sun, and lastly I nailed them on the roof where they had the appearance of fish's scales, an effect that was not only pleasing to the eye, but reminded me us of the roofs of our native land. On this occasion, we made another agreeable discovery. My wife took up the remaining chips of the bark for lighting a fire, supposing they would burn easily. We were surprised by a delicious aromatic odor which perfumed the air. On examining the half-consumed substance, we found some of the pieces to contain turpentine and others gum mastic, so that we might rely on a supply of these ingredients from the trees which had furnished the bark. It was less with a view to the gratifying of our sense of smelling than with the hope of being able to secure these valuable drugs for making a sort of pitch to complete our meditated boat that we indulged our earnestness in the pursuit. The instinct of our goats, or the acuteness of their smell, discovered for us another pleasing acquisition. We observed with surprise that they ran from a distance to roll themselves on some chips of a particular bark which lay on the ground which they began to chew and eat greedily. Jack seized a piece also to find out what could be the reason of so marked a preference as the goats had shown. My wife and I then followed his example, and we were all convinced that the chips were cinnamon, though not so fine a sort as they found it from the Isle of Ceylon. This new commodity was certainly of no great importance to us, but we regarded it with pleasure, as it might assist to distinguish some day of rejoicing. The tree from which we had taken our bark was old, and the cinnamon was the coarser flavored on this account. I remember to have read that young trees produce this spice in much greater perfection. 
After our next meal, we resumed with ardor our undertaking of the farm, which we continued without interruption for several days. We formed the walls with matted reeds interwoven with plant laves to the height of six feet. The remaining space to the roof was enclosed with only a simple grating that the air and light might be emitted. A door was placed in the middle of the front. We next arranged the interior with as much convenience as the shortness of the time and our reluctance to use all our timber would allow. We divided it halfway up by a partition wall into two unequal parts. The largest was intended for the sheep and goats and the smallest for ourselves when we should wish to pass a few days here. At the further end of the stable we fixed a house for the fowls and above it a sort of hayloft for the, the forage. Before the door of entrance we placed two benches, contrived as well as we could of lads and old pieces of wood that we might rest ourselves under the shade of the trees and enjoy the exquisite prospect which presented itself on all sides. Our own apartment was provided with a couple of the best bedsteads we can make of twigs of trees raised upon four legs, two feet from the ground, and these were destined to receive our cotton mattresses. Our aim was to content ourselves at, for the present with these slight hints of a, of a dwelling, and to consider hereafter what additions either of convenience or ornament could be made, such as plastering. All we were now anxious about was to provide a shelter for our animal colonists, which should encourage and fix them in the habit of assembling every evening in one place. For several days at first, we took care to fill their troughs with their favorite food, mixed with salt, and we agreed that we would return frequently to repeat this in direct mode of invitation for their society, till they should be entirely fixed in their expectation of finding it. I had imagined we could accomplish what we wished at the farm in three or four days, but we found in the experiment that a whole week was necessary, and our victuals fell short before our work was done. We began to consider what remedy we could apply to so embarrassing a circumstance. I could not prevail upon myself to return to Falcon Stream before I had completed my intentions at the farm and the other objects of my journey. I had even come to the determination of erecting another building upon the side of Cape Disappointment. I therefore decided that on this trying occasion I would invest Fritz and Jack with the important mission. They were accordingly dispatched to Falcon Stream and to Tent House to fetch new supplies of cheese, ham, potatoes, dried fish, manuit bread for our subsistence, and also to distribute fresh food to the numerous animals we had left there. I directed one to mount the Nagra and the other the buffalo. My two knights errant, proud of their emb embassy, set off with a brisk trot. They at my desire took with them the old ass to bring the load of provisions. Fritz was to lead him with a bridle, while Jack smacked a whip near his ears to quicken his motions, and certainly whether from the influence of climate or the example of his companion the Nagra, he had lost much of his accustomed inactivity, and this was the more important as I intended to make a saddle for my wife to get on his back and relieve herself occasionally from the fatigue of walking. During the absence of our purveyors, I rambled with Ernest about the neighboring soil to make what new discoveries I could and to procure, if possible, additions to our store of provisions. We followed the winding of a river towards the middle of the wall of rocks. Our course was interrupted by a marsh which bordered a small lake, the aspect of which 
was enchantingly picturesque way, I perceived with joyful surprise that the whole surface of the swampy soil was covered with a kind of wild rice ripe on the stalk and which attracted the voracity of large flocks of birds. As we approached, a loud rustling was heard, and we distinguished on the wing bustards, Canada heathfowl, and great numbers of smaller birds. We succeeded in bringing down five or six of them, and I was well pleased to remark in earnest a justness of aim that promised well for the future. The habits of his mind discover themselves on this as on many a previous occasions. He betrayed no ardor. He did everything with a slowness that seemed to imply dislike, yet the cool deliberation and constancy he applied to every attempt so effectually assisted his judgment that he was sure to arrive at a more perfect execution than the other boys. He had practiced but little in the study of how to fare a gun to the best advantage, but Ernest was a silent inquirer and observed, and accordingly his first essays were generally crowned with success. Presently we saw Master Nips jump from Flora's back and smell along the ground among some thick growing plants, then pluck off something with his two paws and eat, and eat of it ferociously. We ran to the spot to see what it could be, when to the relief of our parched palates, we found we had discovered there the largest and finest kind of strawberry, which is called in Europe the chili or pine strawberry. On this occasion the proud creature, man, generously condescended to be the imitator of the monkey. We threw ourselves upon the ground as near to Nips as we could creep, and ate as fast as we could swallow till we felt refreshed. Many of these strawberries were of an enormous size, and Ernest, after devouring an immense quantity, recollected his absent friends, and filled a small gourd shell with the finest fruit, then covered them with leaves and tied them down with a tendril from a neighboring plant to present them in perfection to his mother. I, on my part, gathered a specimen of the rice to offer, that she might inform us if it was fit for culinary purposes. Pursuing our way a little further along the marsh, we reached the lake, which we had described with so much pleasure, from a distance in whose banks, being overgrown with thick underwood, were necessarily concealed from the momentary view we had leisure to take on surrounding objects, particularly as the lake was situated in a deep and abrupt valley. No one who is not a native of Switzerland can conceive the emotion which trembled at my heart as I contemplated this limpid azure undulated body of water, the faithful miniature of so many grand originals which I had probably lost sight of forever. My eyes swam with tears. Alas, a single glance upon the surrounding picture, the different characters of the trees, the vast ocean in the distance, destroyed the momentary illusion, and brought back my ideas to the painful reality that I and mine were strangers in a desert island. Another sort of object now presented itself to confirm the certainty that we were no longer inhabitants of Europe. It was the appearance of a quantity of swans gliding over the surface of the lake, but their color instead of white, like those of our country, was a jetty black, and their plumage had so high a gloss as to produce, reflected on the water, the most astonishing effect. The six large feathers of the wings of this bird are white, exhibiting a singular contrast to the rest of the body. In other respects, the birds were remarkable, like those of Europe, for the haughty gracefulness of their motions and the voluptuous ease of their nature. 
We remained a long time in silent admiration. Some of the swans pursued their course magnificently on the bosom of the blue water. Others stopped and seemed to hold deliberations with their companions, or to admire themselves, or caress each other. Many young ones followed in the train of the parent bird, who frequently turned half round in execution of her watchful and matronly office. This was a spectacle which I could not allow to be interrupted by bloodshed, though Ernest, rendered a little vain by his success and my ignominium, would have been ready to fire upon the swans if I had not absolutely forbidden the attempt. At the same time, I consoled him with the promise that we would endeavor to obtain a pair of the interesting creatures for our establishment at Falcon Stream. Flora at this moment dragged out of the water a creature she had killed. It was somewhat in shape like an otter, and like the tribe of water birds, web-footed. Its tail was long and erect and covered with a soft kind of hair. The head was very small and the ears and eyes were almost invisible. To these more ordinary characters was added a long flat bill like that of a duck, which protruded from its snout and produced so ludicrous an effect that we could not resist a hearty laugh. All the science of the learned Ernest, joined with my own, was insufficient to ascertain the name and nature of this animal. We had no resource but to remain ignorant. In the meantime, we christened it by the name of Beast with a Bill, and decided that it should be carefully stuffed and preserved. We now began to look for the shortest path for returning to the farm, which we reached at the same time with Fritz and Jack, who had well performed the object of their journey. We on our parts produced our offering of strawberries and our specimen of rice, which we welcomed, which were welcomed with shouts of pleasure and surprise. The beast with a bill was next examined with eager curiosity and then laid aside for the plan I had formed. My wife proceeded to pluck and salt the birds we had killed, reserving one fresh for our supper which we partook of together upon the benches before the door of our new habitation. We filled the stable with forage, laid a large provision of grain for the fowls within their house, and began arrangements for our departure. The following day we took a silent leave of our animals and directed our course towards the eminence in the vicinity of Cape Disappointment. We ascended it and founded it in every respect adapted to our wishes. From this eminence we had a view over the country which surrounded Falcon Stream in one direction and in others of a richly diversified extent of landscape, comprehending sea, land, and rocks. When we had paused for a short time upon the exhaustless beauties of the scene, we agreed with one of voice that it should be on this spot we would build our second cottage. A spring of the clearest water issued from the soil near the summit and flowed over its sloping side, forming agreeable cascades in its rapid course. In short, every free feature of the picture contributed to form a landscape worthy, the homage of a taste the most delicate and refined. I presented my children with an appropriate word. Let us build here, exclaimed I, and call the spot Arcadia, to which my wife and all agreed. We lost no time in again setting to work. Our experience at the farm enabled us to proceed with incredible rapidity, and our success was in every respect more complete. The building contained a dining room, two bedchambers, two stables, and a storeroom for preserving all kinds of provisions for man and beast. 
We formed the roof square with four sloped sides, and the whole had really the appearance of a European cottage, and was finished in the short space of six days. What now remained to be done was to fix on a tree fit for my project of a boat. After much search, I, at length, found one of prodigious size and in most respects suitable to my views. It was, however, no very encouraging prospect I had before me, being nothing less than the stripping of a piece of the bark that should be eighteen feet in length and five in diameter, and now I found my rope ladder of signal service. We fastened it by one end to the nearest branches, and it enabled us to work with a saw, as might be necessary at any height for the gr from the ground. Accordingly, we cut quite round the trunk in two places, and then took a perpendicular slip from the whole length between the circles. By this means, we could introduce the proper utensils for raising the rest by degrees till it was entirely separated. We toiled with increasing anxiety at every moment, dreading that we should not be able to preserve it from breaking or uninjured by our tools. When we had loosened about half, we supported it by means of cords and pulleys, and when all was at length detached, we let it down gently, and with joy beheld it lying safe on the grass. Our business was next to mold it to our purpose, while the substance continued moist and flexible. The boys observed that we had now nothing more to do than to nail a plank at each end, and our boat would be as complete as those used by the savages. But for our own part, I could not be contented with a mere row of bark for a boat, and when I reminded them of the paltry figure it would make following the pinnace, I heard not another word about the further pains and trouble and they asked eagerly for my instructions. I made them assist me to saw the bark in the middle of the two ends, the length of several feet. These two parts I folded over till they ended in a point. I kept them in this form by the help of the strong glue I had before made from fish bladders, and pieces of wood nailed fast over the hole. This operation tended to widen the boat in the middle, and thus render it of too flat a form. But of this we counteracted by straining a cord all round, which again reduced it to the due proportion, and in this state we put it in the sun to harden and fix. Many things were still wanting to the completion of my undertaking, but I had not with my proper utensils. I therefore dispatched the boys to Tent House to fetch the sledge and convey it there for our better convenience in finishing. Before our departure for Tent House, we collected several new plants for our kitchen garden, and lastly we made another trip to the narrow straits at the end of the wall of rocks, resolved as I before mentioned to plant there a sort of fortification of trees, which should produce the double effect of discouraging the invasion of savages and allowing us to keep our pigs on the other side and thus secure our different plantations from the chance of injury. We accomplished all these intentions to our entire satisfaction, and in addition we placed a slight drawbridge across the river beyond the narrow pass which we could let down or take up at pleasure on our side. We now hastened our return to Arcadia, and after a night's repose we loaded the sledge with the boat and other matters and returned to Tent House. As soon as we had dispatched some necessary affairs, we resumed the completion of the boat. In two days she had received the addition of a keel, a neat lining of wood, a small flat floor, benches in a small mast, and triangular cell, a rudder, and a thick coat of pitch on the outside, so that the first time we saw her in the water we were all in ecstasies at the charming appearance she made. 
Our cow, in the meantime, had brought forth a young calf, a male. I pierced its nostril, as I had so successfully practiced with the buffalo, and it gave promise of future docility and strength. We had still two months in prospect before the rainy season, and we employed them for completing our abode in the grotto, with the exception of some or such ornaments as we might have time to think of during the long days of winter. We made the internal division of planks and that which separated us from the stables of stone to protect us from the offensive smell occasioned by the animals. Our task was difficult, but from habit it became easier every day. We took care to collect our manufacture, a sufficient quantity of all sorts of materials such as beams and planks, reeds and twigs for matting, pieces of gypsum for plaster. At length the time for the rainy season was near at hand, and we thought of it with pleasure as it would put us in possession of the enjoyments we had procured by such unremitting industry and fatigue. We had an inexpressible longing to find ourselves domiciliated and at leisure to converse together on the subject of all the wondrous benefits bestowed upon us by an ever-watchful and beneficent providence. We plastered over the walls of the principal apartments on each side with the greatest care, finishing them by pressure with a flat, smooth board, and lastly a wash of size in the manner of the plasters in Europe. This ornamental portion of our work amused us all so much that we began to think we might venture a step further in European luxury and agreed that we would attempt to make some carpets with the hair of our goats. To this effect, we smoothed the ground in the rooms we intended to distinguish with great care, then spread over it some sailcloth, which my wife had joined in breaths, and fitted exactly. We next strewed the goat's hair mixed with wool obtained from the sheep over the hole. On this surface, we threw some hot water, in which a strong cement had been dissolved. The hole was then rolled up, and we beat and was beaten for a considerable time with hard sticks, and sailcloth was now unrolled, and the inside again sprinkled, rolled, and beaten as before. And this process was continued till the substance had become a sort of felt, which could be separated from the sailcloth, and was lastly put in the sun to harden. We thus produced a very tolerable substitute for that enviable article of European comfort, a carpet. Of these we completed two, one for our parlor and the other for our drawing room, as we jocosely named them, both of which were completely fit for our reception by the time the rains had set in. All we had suffered during this season in the preceding year doubled the value of the comforts and conveniences with which we were now surrounded. We were never tired of marrying our warm and well-arranged apartments lighted with windows and well secured with doors from wind and rain and our granary filled with more than a sufficient supply of winter food for ourselves and for our cattle in the morning our first care was to feed and give them drink and both these were now constantly at hand without the pains of fetching or preparing after this we assembled in the parlor where prayers were read and breakfast immediately served. We then adjourned to the common room where all sorts of industry went forward and which contained the spinning wheel and loom I had though with indifferent success constructed to gratify my wife. Here all united in the business of producing different kinds of substances which she afterwards made into apparel. I had also contrived to construct a turning machine, having used for the purpose one of the small cannon wheels, with the help of which the boys and I managed to produce some neat utensils for general use. 
After dinner, our work was resumed till night, and we lighted candles, and as they cost no more than our own trouble in collecting and manufacturing the materials, we did not refuse ourselves the pleasure of using many at a time to admire their lights splendidly reflected by the crystals everywhere pendant. We had formed a convenient portion of our dwelling into a small chapel in which we left the crystals as produced by nature, and they still inhibited a wondrous assemblage of columnades, porticos, altars, which when the place was lighted to supply the one of a window presented a truly enchanting spectacle. Divine service now was performed in it regularly every Sunday. I had raised a sort of pulpit from which I pronounced such discourses as I had framed for the instruction of my affectionate group of auditors. Jack and Francis had a natural inclination for music. I did the most I, I could in making a flagolette a piece for them of reeds, on which they so frequently practiced as to attain a tolerable proficiency. They accompanied their mother, who had a sweet-toned voice, the volume of which was doubled by the echoes of the grottoes, and they produced together a very pleasing little concert. Thus, as will be perceived, we were made the first steps towards a condition of civilization, Separated from society, condemned perhaps to pass the remainder of life in this desert island, we yet possess the means of happiness. We had abundance of all the necessaries, and many of the comforts desired by human beings. We had fixed habits of activity and industry. We were in ourselves serene and contented. Our bodily health and strength increased from day to day. The sentiment of tender attachment was perfect in every heart. We every day acquired some new and still improving channel for the exertion of our physical and moral faculties. We everywhere beheld, and at all times acknowledged, marks of the divine wisdom and goodness. Our minds were penetrated with love, gratitude, and veneration for the providence who had so miraculously rescued and preserved us, and conducted us to the true destination of man, that of providing by his labor for the wants of his offspring. I trusted in the same goodness for restoring us once more to the society of our fellow men, or for bestowing upon us the means of founding, in this desert, a happy and flourishing colony of human beings, awaiting in silence for the further manifestation of His holy will. We passed our days in a course of industry, innocent pleasures, and reciprocal affection. Nearly two years had elapsed without our perceiving the smallest trace of civilized or savage man, without the appearance of a single vessel or canoe upon the vast sea by which we were, we are surrounded. Ought we then to indulge, indulge a hope that we shall once again behold the face of our fellow creature? We encourage serenity and thankfulness in each other, and wait with resignation the event.